Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me today in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and oh yeah, that sometimes messy thing that we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, thanks so much for joining me today. And I have with me a new friend of mine, Ashley. Ashley, is it Heyman or Hammond? Hammond, just ham on. Perfect. Um, but Ashley is making the time to, to chat with us, the Boca Podcast listeners and community. And I really, truly appreciate that. And we're going to actually hit on a topic today that we haven't yet. We've not really gone the, the techie route in conversation yet. We're going to actually do that today. So I'm really excited about that. Um, we're also going to get to know you on a personal level here in just a bit, but we're going to start off with what we normally do called the aha moment. And very simply, this might be the biggest or hardest lesson that you've learned as a business owner so far. I wonder what comes to mind. Oh, man. So last year, I really had a big aha moment. I realized that I am the one that defines my success and that I don't have to adhere to any sort of model or pattern that other people are doing. So I, that was really the biggest thing for me last year. And how did that end up making a difference in the way that you, I guess, I mean, it made a difference, I'm sure, in your business, but it probably even affected just the way that you felt personally day to day. Absolutely. I felt like, and so I'm in uh, the fifth, well, going into the sixth year of my business. And so back in 2016, I really felt like I hit my stride. I was so confident. I was super slam busy, but I was really figuring things out workflow wise. So I had started outsourcing to Photographer's Edit, which saved my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was so perfect. And I really hit like a really good balance. And then I decided last year, why don't I just throw all that out the window and try to do outdo myself (laughs) and come up with an even better workflow, you know, because growth means more people. I should be hiring people. I should be growing in a certain kind of way. And so I did that and it was a huge failure, (laughs) but I learned so much. Um, I really learned what my strengths are, what makes me happy and the kind of balance that I wanted. And it didn't matter if I wanted to continue being the only person and not have a staff. Interesting. Okay. So if you don't mind, I want to dig into this just a little bit more. So when you made those big changes, what was the impetus for change? Was it the very thing you're talking about where you're looking around, you're seeing what other growing businesses are doing and you were kind of trying to follow suit? Yes. I was like, okay, I'm doing really well. Let me keep doing really well. Let me outdo myself. Let me keep growing in a totally different way. (laughs) Let me see if that works, you know, even better than what this is doing. It was just sort of like a, maybe like a FOMO kind of thing. Like, oh, this is going so great. Like maybe I need to like get to that next level. And this is what the next level is. When in reality, I was on such a great trajectory and I've, I've definitely corrected and being flexible and being willing to try new things like that, I think is something that has helped me stay successful. But that was definitely a big turning point where I was like, oh, like I, I need to go off of the information that's in my heart and what I have actually experienced and then make decisions based on that, not just of what, you know, you, you can, can compare to. That makes sense. So the, the changes that you made that didn't end up working out was that did it largely center around scaling up? You, you, I think you mentioned staff, hiring staff. Was, was that largely the effort? Yeah, exactly. I thought that I needed to have a person to do things um, to outsource to or to delegate to. 
And I just realized that I'm I'm just not that great of a, a people. I don't I don't want to be a people manager. I ended up outsourcing the things that I really enjoy doing. And then I stuck myself with all the things that I didn't like to do. And so I was not motivated to even do those things. And I just wasn't very good at keeping on top of uh, that person. You know, I, I, I really wanted them to kind of like take the reins and run with things, but like that, that's not really what a hired person's going to do. You know, Um, that is a, that's an interesting point actually that you make because, you know, as, and this is what I've found and you can probably even speak to this as somebody who uses photographers at it, but the idea of outsourcing post-production, for example, you, you, what you're actually doing in that role is becoming a manager. And I think most photographers, sole proprietors are not used to the idea of being in a managerial role, which requires communication. There is kind of this, the, the expectation, in fact, that you alluded to, and, and honestly, I'm guilty of the same thing working with my team, but where you just kind of, you're like, I have an idea. I'm going to hand that off to somebody else and they should be able to just figure out what that idea is without learning how to actually communicate those ideas to them. That's it. That's a significant part of the process of being a manager, whether you hire uh, somebody in-house or you hire a company externally like photographers at it, there is a process of communication that is required in that. And it can be tough to learn that. Exactly. So I learned that I didn't want to do that. Fair enough. <laughs> With that, you know, so, cause I thought I started to realize that it wasn't working out, that I wasn't being the kind of person I needed to be to stay on top of things or to delegate properly. And I was creating all these efficiencies and able in order to delegate them. And then I was like, Oh, well now I'm just able to do it better and faster and easier. Why am I even handing it off? <laughs> so it's a really interesting year. Um, a lot of learning. Um, and that's also the year that I decided to switch to mirrorless. So it was, it was a lot to do in one year. <laughs> it was very ambitious. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And you know, honestly, I would, I, I'd love to be able to continue to dig into this a little bit more, yeah. but I know we have also have a lot more to get to, including the topic that you just mentioned today was making that switch from DSLRs to mirrorless cameras. We're going to get to that here just a little bit. But just to kind of sum up this this part of our conversation, I, I love the significance of realizing what not only you're good at, but also what you enjoy and yes. creating a business model that enables that, that supports that. I think that's really smart at the end of the day. And and that that notion of FOMO or you know comparison, <laughs> contrast, trying to live up to these standards that others have set. Well, it is important to understand that there are plenty of other smart people out there that are doing business in really intelligent ways that are actually good to pay attention to. At the end of the day, we need to take some of those principles that are most applicable to the business model that we want to develop and then ultimately make a business model that works specifically for us, for our lives, for our goals. And I love that that you made that distinction for yourself. So this is this is wonderful. And thanks for starting us off with that. Um, this is where I normally ask you more about you, but you've done a really beautiful job. Um, first of all, just really kind of communicating your energy uh, through your website, the images of you, especially on your about page. I'm actually there right now. But rather than um, kind of letting you sum it up, uh, I'm going to actually read from your about page because it's not very often that I that I'm actually kind of impressed by an about page. Um, you know, a lot of times there's this kind of focus on hey, look at me, this is my story, this, this is what I've accomplished. And you've just done a really wonderful job of communicating your energy and personality in a way that I think actually is going to matter. It's going to translate to the client. So That's so wonderful to hear. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, th- I think it's important. You know, there's always kind of a, a balance between 
writing a lot to try to communicate an idea and then also remembering that the client only has so much time and how much are they going to actually pay attention to all these details? Even read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But um, ultimately, I just want to read this to, to give our listeners an idea of what a, a nice about page can be, uh, be like. And uh, I think that'll help them get to know you a little bit better as well. So with that in mind, uh, you said on your about page, hello, lovely, I'm Ashley. Let's pretend we just hugged and now I'm beaming a smile at you. I'm very enthusiastic, organized, and artistic professional photographer in Tampa, Florida. I love love and light and it takes a lot of restraint to not end every sentence with an exclamation point and i, I love that by the way because i'm so similar even in I my know, they're like smiles right every exclamation, i'm smiling at you i'm absolutely. not yelling absolutely yes yeah no that, and that is funny because I, I actually have a friend who who says hey you're, he actually refers to exclamation points as as yelling and i get where he's coming from but simultaneously i to me that just that kind of exudes energy and excitement and um yeah, I could absolutely relate to that. But um, you said at the same time, I'm also a soulful, hopeless romantic. Um, you said I would describe my photography style as sophisticated, vibrant, sharp, and fun. I strive to always be in the moment. I toe the line between preparation and spontaneity, between timeless and modern, between soft and over the top. Contrast is what makes life interesting. And honestly, that resonated with me too, because I've essentially said those words multiple times over in the past. So I love that. Uh, in this moment, I'm so excited to know you, your love story, and the vision you have for your big moment of commitment and celebration. I'm beyond curious. When your big moments come, I can't wait to be there in it with you, using my point of view and skills to tell your story as beautifully and powerfully as possible. I believe everything comes from within to be shared and that there is nothing more important than love. I'm passionate about visually communicating your adventure, your love story, what and who you love most. I'm a realizer of dreams. I grew up here in Tampa, the oldest of three children, one of whom is mentally disabled. I was always a nerdy A student and an athlete participating in obscure sports like synchronized swimming and collegiate women's crew. I went on to graduate from UCF with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in photography. Go Knights. After graduation, I went around the world for a year before starting my business full-time. I've traveled to Australia, Thailand, Cambodia, England, Wales, Czech Republic, Hungary, Iceland, Bali, Chile, and Turks and Caicos. On my wish list is New Zealand, Mexico, Spain, Italy, Croatia, and Madagascar. So, I mean, what an introduction to... <laughs> To you, Ashley, and I have to ask you first about synchronized swimming, because this is not something that most people have on their resume. Tell us more. It's pretty interesting. <laughs> so I grew up here in Florida. We did move to Colorado for a couple of years when I was seven to 10. And so we were in a landlocked state and uh, growing up with a pool in my backyard, uh, my mom was like, oh, my God, what do I do with her? <laughs> so we went down to I think it was like the YMCA and uh, she had intentionally wanted me to go into diving. I got up on the shortest board and it was a no-go. It was not going to happen. But luckily, we also saw a poster that day for synchronized swimming. And uh, my mom, when we got home, showed me some old Esther Williams movies. And I just was totally hooked. And so I tried out, got on the team, and I swam there. And we actually went to the Junior Olympics. And it was incredible. It was the most fun that I think I've ever had in my childhood. We, I love how you throw out Junior Olympics just nonchalantly. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Yeah, it was really fun. I think we got uh, fourth place. So I got like a ribbon, but it was great. I mean, we practiced so much. It was, uh, it was fantastic. And it's something that no one else has done. So I really love that because, you know, I'm an Aquarius. I like to be unique. 
And so having some weird, obscure sport that I did is like pretty fun for me. <laughs> I love that. Well, yeah. Talk about a point of conversation. Yeah. Now that I actually raced and this reminds me of, of my um, personal experience in water and in the pool. I raced triathlon for a short period of time and my right. biggest struggle was, was the swim. And mm-hmm. largely that was because my, the, for whatever reason, the lower half of my body, I guess maybe a little bit more dense from muscle because I played soccer for, for years, oh, but I, I would just, I would literally sink. And um, <laughs> so it would take like initially before I really got into this and got a coach and, and he was helping me with my form and so forth. Um, you know, I'd swim a lap or two and, and get tired. So I'm curious, how did you learn to keep yourself afloat in the water for extended periods of time without just absolutely burning out? It's crazy. We had so much endurance. So we would do what we call duck walks around the pool, which these are Olympic size pools where we would do lunge walks like for laps. Uh, We would like warm up with doing laps like it was crazy. We had to be able to hold our breath for the length of the Olympic pool. So for my age group, we had to be able to go all the way down and at least halfway back without coming up for air. And it was just practice. I mean, it, it was it was crazy. We had an amazing coach and she coached all the age groups. So I was in like the almost youngest age group. And then we had um, kids that were in high school and they were going off getting scholarships to do synchronized swimming on the collegiate level, which I didn't even know existed. There was like some really cool techniques that our coach used that really motivated us even at like seven, eight years old. Like I remember just being really dedicated and try, try again. So, we had practice. And when you talk about the the lunge walks, is that does that mean basically kind of squatting down into the water or doing a lunge into the water and, and kind of exploding out of it? We would do a lot of work in the pool, but then we would also do stretching and things like that out of the pool. So the lunge walks, we would do lunge like all the way the length of the pool, all the way around. So we would be outside of the pool doing like these like circuit trainings almost. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you said you mentioned college eight synchronized swimming. You didn't know you didn't know that was something that existed. So did you only go through high school with the sport or how far did you go with it? I did it for a little while in Colorado and then we moved back to Florida. So I did it in middle school as well. And then I got mono and I just my my endurance was out the window. So I actually didn't end up going back. So in high school, I did tennis and soccer and things like that. And then once I got to college, uh, I decided that rowing was the most, you know, college sport. So I, you know, decided to try out for that. And that was an amazing experience. I had no idea what I got myself into. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems as though you enjoy kind of doing things that are maybe a slight bit outside the box. Um, You know, even as popular as rowing is, most people haven't competed in it as a sport. So I'm really curious, what do you like to do with your free time now? I've definitely gotten back into being physical. So I think in the first three years of the business, like it's all you do. You eat, sleep and drink it. I mean, round the clock. Um, And that was great. You know, it got me to the next phase, you know. And so now that I have more stability and I have a better goal oriented, I know kind of I have a better idea of where I want to go and how I want to structure my year. I don't have that scared feeling of like, I have to get it all done right now. Oh my God, I have to like get everything done this year. I have a better idea of like, okay, like I can, there are goals for this year, five years, 10 years, you know? So I have a better balance um, with my work life. And so on my free time, I really try to relax and uh, get back into a better routine. So I've committed to, you know, weight training and yoga and a better diet. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I'm just really trying to create my own connections and get back to my own memories and, and creating my own memories and having my own life. So I think it can get really easy to be disassociative when you're a photographer, especially a wedding photographer, 
because you are in these very intimate moments, but they're not yours, you know, and you're, you're very connected to them and you're sharing it with these, these people. And, but it's just, it's, it it can be very draining as well. So I think I've really tried to balance back out, you know, stay, keep, keep a self-care aspect going and to really reinvest in my own connections and my own family members and friends. That's really interesting. And I, I don't think we've had any guests refer to that experience in such a way. You're talking about that disassociative aspect or, or experience of giving so much of yourself emotionally and energy-wise to your clients and then not necessarily doing the same thing for yourself. You know, the, the, the phrase self-care is a popular one these days. And um, at, at the end of the day, it's particularly important for wedding photographers, as you as you point out, or maybe many photographers in general, just because there is such an emotional toll that is taken as a result of constantly throwing yourself into a shoot. And it is important to create that space for yourself. And I'm reminded even as as you're talking, as we're having this conversation here of the thing that I think right now that I need to do most besides exercise, which is um, meditation. I just have found so much benefit from sitting in quiet and and, um, taking a very simple approach to meditation. But there's so much benefit mentally and physically for me. And that's something that I need to make sure that I do more consistently. But this is really good. How do you how do you create that when you're talking about creating that free time or that time for the sake of self care? How do you create that free time for yourself? Yes. So I think boundaries are the best thing um, that I have used. So I, I, I think two years ago, I decided, you know what, no more Sundays. Um, I'm not going to be available on Sundays. You know, of course, if there's like a wedding, like that's becoming a popular day as well as Friday, um, I'll book that. But I try to really keep Sunday sacred uh, for mental health. You know, if I come off of a, a an eight or 12 hour wedding on Saturday, and then I got to go right back into a session on Sunday, it's such a burnout. And then there's no time for the people in your life that have a normal schedule that are only available on the weekends. There is no um, set time where you know you're going to be off. So I really decided to create that for myself. You know, I don't have two consecutive days off in a row, but I always have a Sunday. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. The consistency is so important, too. And so I love that you have that to look forward to each week. Yes, exactly. That really helps, you know, knowing that I've carved out some time and then I don't feel guilty about taking it. And that was really a game changer, too. You know, because you can find free time, but then you start to feel guilty, like, oh, I could be doing this. I could be doing that. So saying that that's the day off and then enjoying it and not feeling guilty about it was such a relief. Good for you. That's really, really wonderful. Well, how, speaking of business and managing all that comes along with running a business, how long have you been in business and how did you get started? I've been in business for about five years, going into my sixth this summer. I started after I got back from a big trip. So um, I got my degree in photography from UCF. Um, I graduated in 08, which was not a very good time for job hunting. (laughs) So I had quit my bartending job that I had while I was in college. And then uh, I was like, oh, well, I think I actually have to go back to bartending. (laughs) So I ended up bartending um, and doing kind of odd jobs in photography for a while. I did a couple friends' weddings, and that really started to light a fire because I wasn't really sure what kind of photography I wanted to do. I kind of liked everything. And so that was the beauty of the wedding was it was inside, outside, daytime, nighttime. It was people. It was things. It was, you know, directing portraits. And it was also candid, you know, fly on the wall. It was just a perfect mix of variety. So I kind of knew that the time was, (laughs) was coming where I needed to quit doing this bartending and actually go after my dream. So I decided actually to go around the world first because <laughs> I knew that if I started a business that it was going to take everything and I wanted to give it everything. But I still had this dream about traveling. 
So I took off for a year. I lived in Australia, um, had a job there. And then I took off again from there and went to Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe. And then I ended up back home and I was ready. I started from zero, had sold my car to my little brother before I left for that trip. So I got home, (laughs) was back in the parents' house, you know, had just enough money left to really keep myself afloat for a little while while I just cold emailed photographers and just tried to get something started. So um, I started freelancing pretty soon. I found that without the the backup plan or the part-time job and really just giving myself 100% to trying to start this business that it it just started happening. Uh, before I knew it, I was getting booked for beach weddings and all kinds of other ones through different um, companies that you know did do more high volume that weren't very you know boutique or anything. Um, which was great because instead of being a second shooter or an assistant, I actually just got thrown in and kind of baptized by fire as being a lead. And I really grew so much so fast. So I started that in the summer of 2012. I incorporated, I think, January of 2013. And it's just been growing and growing ever since. Wow. And how many weddings do you shoot a year now? I try to keep it to 30. In 2015 and 2016, it was 45, (laughs) which was a lot. Um, And they were definitely like full weddings. So I try to keep it around 30. Um, I really love to do engagement sessions and I follow couples all the way through maternity. I have my cutoff at babies. I've done it for friends and family and I love it, but it does, it is a different energy and a different perspective. Um, So I really try to keep myself within like the adult boundaries because I kind of like to do a lot of different things. I love weddings, love engagements, love maternity. I do boudoir and I love small business branding. Um, and I've even done like products and interiors, things like that. So try to try to keep myself available during the week to do those fun kind of projects. Well, and, and this actually, there's, I have so many questions, actually. First of all, I love, again, your nonchalance and just saying that you decided you were going to travel around the world, you know, like, like everybody just does that. But how long did you actually spend traveling? I spent, uh, I was about 10 and a half months. My goal was about a year. And I just was ready to come home. I think it's very exhausting, but it was the best experience. I mean, I learned so much about myself, about the world, about the kind of life I wanted to have. I think what made me want to leave was just this desire to get out of Tampa. Uh, I had been there for so long. You know, I went to school not too far away and I just wanted to get out. I wanted to, you know, be in a bigger place, you know. And once I had had that experience, I was like, wow, you know, Tampa is actually not bad. (laughs) And I got home and I was like, I think I want to be the change that I want to see. I want to see Tampa be a vibrant and creative city. And it's not going to ever be that way if we all just keep, you know, jettisoning and leaving for the West Coast or New York, you know. So I really decided to stay here and create the life that I wanted to have here. And it was the best decision because I've really come up with a lot of my peers coming from like a hospitality industry, like, you know, I bartended for so long. I know like all of the newest, coolest spots. You know, I know the people that are doing all these really fun things, you know, all the coffee roasters and the the new bars and the 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 artists and the the street artists and all these things that are happening in the in the city are all of my peers. They're all people that I started to do things with, you know, five years ago. And it's just so exciting to see young professionals really growing here and we're starting to actually attract more people. And it's it's fantastic. Wow, that's really beautiful. I love the proactivity in that. And and yet again, I want to go back because you you've mentioned so many things that I think we could create like individual <laughs> podcast episodes oh, no, sorry. <laughs> off of each of these. No, it's a wonderful thing actually. But um, so I'm curious. First of all, how did having a photography degree affect starting a business? Because I, I don't know that it's a large percentage of our guests that that we've had on the podcast that that actually have a photography degree. And from what I've heard. 
having a photography degree, it might help you on the photographic side, but it leaves you wanting on the business side. Did you find that? Did you have that similar experience? Absolutely. So I didn't even learn Photoshop in college. (laughs) Um, I was the last class actually to use the darkroom. The class after me, they started you off with digital and they closed the darkroom because we did not have enough funding to keep the ventilation going apparently and all kinds of other bureaucratic mess. So it was really disappointing. But I mean, I did come away with a very good, well-rounded art education. Um, and I actually keep in touch with one, my photography professor. Um, she's amazing. She's out in Baltimore killing it. But I did learn, you know, what makes a good photo? You know, what what does the art history and the, the history of, you know, the greats, you know, mean? You know, how do you use that for your photography? But I didn't ever learn how to light a picture, <laughs> you know, or how to post-process or definitely absolutely nothing as, in terms of like, client communication or interaction or a website or taxes or you know insurance like none of that so I think if I were to do it over again I would have maybe just started out on my own like just started doing it because that's really how I learned um, after school I just kind of dove into just trial and error um, you know try to overcome the the fear of not being able to make the picture that I had in my head you know because I didn't I didn't know how to make it so I looked into books. I love Joe McNally, the Strobist website I was obsessed with. So I just got really into lighting and just practice, practice, practice. So I think the degree is great. And I really love that I have a bachelor's degree. But I think if anyone out there is wondering if they should go to photo- photography school, I, I don't know. I think having a, a business mind and, and, and learning more about that is probably going to be a lot more useful. Absolutely. That totally makes sense. And then while you were in school, you mentioned bartending. And I have to ask, what is your favorite drink to mix? (laughs) Oh, I love to do flips and swizzles, stuff with egg whites, because it's like really complicated and it has a really fun effect. (laughs) It makes like a great foam. That's okay. So is there a particular drink like that you would make for yourself at home these days? Oh, these days I love to make Tommy's margaritas. So tequila is my drink. So I'm kind of snobby about it. So it has to be a nice silver tequila fresh squeezed lime juice and agave nectar. And that's all. And you just shake it, pour it over ice and it's delicious. Oh, that does sound really good. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I'm really curious to, to dive into a little bit of what your business represents. You mentioned wedding photography, but then you, you were talking about a little bit of commercial work and certainly some maternity, boudoir, et cetera. What, what would you say is your business's brand position? What actually sets you apart or creates a distinction between you and the businesses in your market? That is such a good question. And I really think it is me that sets me apart. And that's why I really try with my branding to communicate who I am and my perspective. Um, but my tagline is sort of, you know, I'm a boutique wedding and portrait photographer. Uh, I service Tampa Bay, but I'm available worldwide. <laughs> um, I try to, you know, limit myself to adults. So I try to really only show through my outlets, like my blog and my Instagram, the kind of work that I want to be doing. So it is couples, it is weddings, um, it is other small businesses. So my why, which I think I've kind of figuring out because I know that's so important, um, is telling vibrant stories about who or what you love. So, you know, if it's a couple, you know, I'm telling their love story. If it's a small business owner, I'm telling the story of what they love to do. Um, and I just, I love vibrancy, you know, sophisticated fun is my tag as well. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to narrow it down more and more every year. Well, you know, and this is an interesting conversation for our industry, especially these days where there are so many photographers. You know, it is mm-hmm. definitely difficult to set yourself apart. The, this this idea of your personality 
being your brand position is an interesting one. And I think one that, again, we could have kind of a whole podcast episode about. But I will say, to your credit, that you've done a really wonderful job of communicating who you are and your energy through your website. So kudos to you for that. Awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, this kind of brings us really to to our topic for the day. But what's going to get us started in that realm is I'm curious what your favorite piece of camera equipment is uh, or what piece of gear is a favorite in your gear bag? Ooh, that's such a good question. I used to just love my flashes so much, you know, coming from like the Joe McNally school uh, and strobist. But now I really think that my uh, 85 equivalent lens for the Fuji is just my favorite. I uh, really, I never really used that focal length when I was um, with Nikon and I'm just hooked on it now. What do you like about that particular lens? I think it gives you such a nice compression. I really used to use my 70 to 200 for everything back in the day also because I loved that compression. But then you were so far away from your subject. So I think this is a really nice compromise where you get that nice tightness, um, but you're also able to stay kind of in someone's bubble and be close to them. That makes sense. And is that a is it a Fuji branded lens or is it a third party company? Yeah, I believe it's the Fujinon. It's the 56 millimeter. So they've created all of their lens lineups to be equivalents uh, because it is a crop sensor. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Well, and, and that really is a beautiful segue then into our, our focus for today, which is that that idea of making the switch from a DSLR to a mirrorless camera. This is a very, very popular topic these days. You know, of course, Sony seems to be kind of leading the way in that regard. But I'm, I'm curious, first of all, why you made the switch from DSLR to the mirrorless platform and, and what cameras did you come from? So I was uh, Nikon and I loved Nikon. I loved the color. I just, I felt at home with the buttons. It was like very intuitive for me. Um, my very, very first camera actually was a Canon Rebel. But then as soon as I held an Nikon, I made the switch. I decided to go mirrorless when I was hiking. <laughs> this is going to sound so pretentious. <laughs> the Torres de what is it? I can't even say it now. Torres de Pain or whatever in um, Patagonia in Chile. I was down there to shoot a wedding and I had all of my gear lugging it around from city to city. And uh, we actually decided to do a like 12 hour hike into the mountains. I brought one body and two lenses and I wanted to throw it off of the mountain. <laughs> what camera body were you shooting with? I just had a, you know, a D750, the Nikon D750. I had um, a 50 millimeter and a 24 millimeter. I think they were the Sigma art lenses. So they were heavier for sure. I probably could have gone with something else. Um, and I had them in my shoot sack, which I love. I've had that thing for five years and it is going strong. <laughs> but it just, the weight of it and just, ugh, I just felt so uninspired. Like it felt like the gear, you know, like it just had, it, I just knew it through and through and I just wasn't inspired anymore by it. And just hiking around and having to deal with the, the sheer size of everything while trying to, to, you know, hike around. And their wedding was on the side of a mountain too, you know, so we had to go through like, probably five, six stories worth of, you know, terrain to go from the ceremony to where we wanted to take pictures to where they were getting ready. Like it was just crazy. And I just, I was spent. <laughs> so, um, I had been telling people that asked me, you know, Oh, you don't think about getting a camera. What do you think? What should I get? You know, you, you know, cameras. Um, and I would always tell people to go mirrorless, you know, I'd say, go out and get you this thing. You know, this is the future. This is going to replace the DSLR, like, I don't know when, but it's coming, <laughs> you know? And so after that experience traveling and just feeling super burnt out with the gear, 
I decided to go to WPPI and just go and hold some mirrorless in my hands and see if the time was right. So I went over there and I went to the Leica tent and the Sony tent and the Fuji tent. And I just, I had that sort of intuitive experience with the Fuji. I felt home. I had everything that I was looking for, plus things I didn't know I wanted. It felt really good in my hands. I really love their sort of um, analog throwback style where they've got the uh, aperture ring lenses, you know, all the buttons and things. It looks like an old film camera. I just felt re-inspired and just uh, like a weight had been lifted. Like it was just so small and easy to manage. You know, I, I decided to buy a body and a lens and to just start trying it out. And uh, before I knew it, I knew that was it. I wanted to make the switch. I was ready. I was going to try to be, you know, I tried to <laughs> reconcile it in my head, you know, like this is the right move. You know, it's giving me everything I want. And you know what? I'll be ahead of the curve. This is coming. I know that this is the future of the technology this is what fits for me. And so I just tried to be really confident in that. And I, and I did it. So over a period of about six months, I just made the full switch and it was probably the best. It was the best thing that I did last year for sure. (laughs) Okay. So this happened just this last year. So you've, you've made that switch and you've been working with this new setup for about a year. Yeah. It's been fantastic. Wow. Okay. So what camera did you start with? And are you still with that same camera body or are you you using a different body now? So I ended up with the Fuji X-T2. And I love it. <laughs> well, and it, and I you mentioned the kind of the intuitive nature of the the Nikon camera bodies, and I shot Nikon for over ten years, so I I'd hundred percent agree with you. Canon cameras are awesome, but they're the way that they had their menu system laid out, especially for the obviously the digital cameras, and where they had the controls, it just didn't seem to make as much sense. The Nikon system worked really well for me as well, but making that shift then from Nikon the D seven fifty. Uh, to the Fuji, was there a big learning curve or was it, was the layout similar? Uh, It wasn't too bad, actually. I think by that point, you know, I was so comfortable with shooting and with any, you know, technology and, you know, just understanding, having a better understanding of photography and the gear itself, like really helped to make the transition. I think if you, if, if you're comfortable shooting on whatever you're shooting on, it's not going to be that hard. You know, I think things are definitely in different places. But the way that they've set it up is is really beautiful, you know, and, and the controls for, you know, aperture, you know, being on the lens is really fun. Um, the that's what I really like too. like it's it's you had to learn just different locations for things. But the way that those locations were really interesting and they were more fun to use. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the tactile nature of that experience had yeah. to been really wonderful. And, you know, it's it's always nice to have. I was just joking uh, about this actually with some people at, at a coffee shop this morning where I w- had gone to work, um, the, the importance of variety, you know, changing things up from yeah. time to time, especially for the sake of the creative process is so important. Yeah. So making a move to a different system, having that different tactile process, I'm sure that that naturally brought out some creativity. Yes. And that's re- that's really what was leading the decision to do it. When not only was I just, just, I was so uninspired and I was just tired of the weight, you know? So that really helped. Like it was definitely the right move. Um, I definitely feel re-inspired. It was so much fun to play with things like in-camera double exposure. Like why don't Nikons have that yet? Come on. Like <laughs> it's it's really fun. And the the digital viewfinder I think has been a really big game changer too because you can keep your head in the camera and while you're, you know, swinging that the aperture ring, you're actually seeing what it's doing to your exposure and you're actually getting an actual lifetime view of what your controls are doing. And I think that was really exciting. 
That's really, really cool. Now, would you say, I mean, as as positive an experience as you had, were there particular challenges innate to that switch? I think the challenge was, uh, the biggest challenge was figuring out the off-camera lighting and figuring out like what works with what. So I actually ended up with Nissan uh, flashes and I'm using Botix for Nikon triggers. (laughs) No way. Uh, Yeah. So, and thank you. Shout out to Jason Mize for that because I was having the hardest time because Nissan uh, had released these uh, flashes with built-in wireless with a little, you know, commander, but they just were not working for me. I mean, they were not working. (laughs) They would not be reliable. They weren't going off properly. It was just a nightmare. Um, And I had spoken to Nissan and Fuji and they were like, well, I've never heard of that problem. Sorry. (laughs) So I'm just like pulling my hair out thinking, I know I'm not crazy. You know, I know how these are supposed to work and they're just not doing it. So um, I ended up just throwing on a Botix trigger to one of them at a wedding with Jason and they worked lo and behold. So now I use those and everything goes off just perfectly. And it's, it's been fine. I am able to use the same sort of lighting recipe that I was doing with Nikon and I just have it with my Fuji now and wow. it's all much smaller and all fits in one little backpack. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and, and actually that's probably just a great opportunity then to talk about what your favorite things are about shooting with mirrorless cameras. I, I would assume the first would be just the smaller form factor and less weight to lug around. Yes. They're definitely so much smaller and lighter. I love that part. That's the biggest plus for sure. I love that there's more focus points on them. Uh, it just was really a nice game changer. I can really go down into all of the corners and create some more interesting compositions with and, and have more of a attack sharp focus. Um, you know, focus and recompose definitely works, but uh, I was finding that I was a little bit more soft. Um, so that's really fun. Um, it's so amazing in low light, and I love being able to change the way you view through the through the digital viewfinder. So you can see exactly what your settings are going to give you while you're looking through, and then you can also turn it off so that it's just compensating and it's just kind of letting you see in the dark, sort of thing. So it's really fantastic in low light um, for focusing, or the actual what it captures at high ISOs is wonderful. The files are great. Like I love the color. I'm able to use like basically the same post-processing in Lightroom that I was using on my Nikon files. Um, I can mix in Nikon and Canon just fine editing wise. Um, you know, when I have second shooters and things like that, I love the, you know, double exposure in camera. That's pretty fun. The color management is great. You can really dial in your white balance and you can see it, the equivalent or however they call it, the preview while you're, you're doing it too. So that's really nice. You can really see what your controls are going to give you while you're doing it and you don't have to do so much chimping or a guessing game oh which is which is always such a drawback it's it's amazing and i mean i certainly was guilty of it myself but you know the potential of missing out on a moment if you're constantly dropping that camera from your eye to look at the screen it, it's so high and, and the last thing that you want to do is miss out on the opportunity to capture not only the, the main moments of the day but the in-betweens as well yeah so that's been it's been really nice it's it's created a much more I feel like I'm much faster and much com- more confident when uh, when those in-between moments are happening because I can just really dial it in really fast. And that, that's been so much better. That's really, really great. Now, it, it sounds like it was just an overall really, really positive experience making that switch. Is, is there anything that you miss about the Nikon system, the SLR system that maybe still isn't there in the Fuji? I really don't think so. I mean... I, I had a dedicated macro lens that I would do ring shots and things with that was, you know, like $2,000. And for the Fuji, I just bought $50 extension tubes off of Amazon and I'm able to do 
more than I was able to do with my dedicated 105 on the Nikon. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fantastic. Um, they it's a they're three three tubes that stack, and so I can get crazy close. I can get a little farther back. Like it's, I just put them onto that 56 millimeter, that 85 equivalent, and I am able to do everything that I was doing on the Nikon, if not more. Um, I really don't miss anything. I people have asked me if if I get judged by like, you know, maybe non-photographers, like people at weddings that are, you know, walking around with their Mark fives or what, I don't know, whatever, um, you know, and they're looking at your little camera and the, you know, like having that sort of intimidation factor, but I really haven't had that, you know, um, no one has ever gone up to me and be like, Oh, are, are you professional? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have not had that happen at all. If anything, people ask me if they are film cameras, which is pretty cool. And, and I like to kind of start that conversation and say, no, they're mirrorless, you know? Um, and I feel pretty, I feel so good and confident with them that I think even if, if someone did bring that up, I would be happy to, to talk about it and to, and to stand firm in my choice. You know, the only thing that was difficult was just figuring out the lighting and just keeping that confidence up and not second guessing, you know, like I would have like, I would, I shot a lot side by side for a couple of months just to make sure, make sure, make sure. And, you know, I would be in there and I'd have files next to each other and I couldn't tell the difference, you know, especially clients, they can't tell the difference. Right. And so, and then, you know, a couple of shoots later, I'd be like, oh my God, like, did I really, oh my God, what if, what if it doesn't look as good as it would have on the Nikon or something, you know, like you have those little tiny fears, but it, it, it doesn't like that, that never happened. So <laughs> good for you. Uh, That's really, really great. Yeah. I really love it. I'm definitely a convert and I've been telling all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the best kind too. I'm sure, sure that uh, Fuji appreciates it. I, right? I, I do have one last question for you though. I, I mentioned Sony earlier, you know, as, as popular as Sony has been on the mirrorless front, have you experimented with that platform and, and you've just made the choice to stick with Fuji? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I definitely like the fact that the Sony has the full frame, but honestly, I haven't missed it with the Fuji. You know, the way that they've created their lenses to go around it, the file sizes are wonderful. I actually have a billboard from one of my commercial shoots that's up in Tampa right now, and it is fine. I shot that on the Fuji. Like, wow. <laughs> it's totally fine. So, I mean, I don't really, I feel like maybe in like that sort of techie mindset, like, oh, like I should have a full frame, but I really like, I'm not missing it. It's not impacting my work whatsoever. When I was at WPPI and I was playing with everything, I just really didn't, I had that same feeling as, as we were talking about like Canon versus Nikon. I just didn't feel right with the Sony. Like it felt very cold, very technical. It just didn't feel right in my hands. Like, I don't know why I can't explain it. Um, when, when I got over to the Fuji, I just felt like, yes, like this is a camera. This, this is for me. This is my tool. And I always thought, I don't know, I always associate like video with, with Sony also. And I know that's something that Fuji's trying to change because they do an amazing job with video. So I don't know. I think it's to each their own. And I think you should really, you know, like kind of tying it back to my very first, you know, aha moment. Like you just got to really figure out what works for you and then try as you, as best as you can to be confident in that and just keep going forward. That's a, that's a beautiful way to conclude our conversation. And I'd love for our listeners to be able to see the work that you're creating with this camera. So do share with us all where they can find you on social media and, of course, your website as well. Absolutely. So you can find me um, at www.ashleyhammond.com. It sounds so simple, but it's actually <laughs> very easily to be misspelled. It's A-S-H-L-E-E. There's no Y. And it's Hammond, H-A-M-O-N. My dad's joke is it's ham on eggs without the eggs. So. <laughs> nice. 
no extra R's, M's, or D's or anything. It was ham on. Uh, so that's my website. Um, and I actually got rid of Facebook last year, which was an awesome thing. There's a lot of things that happened last year. <laughs> uh, so I got rid of Facebook, but you can find me on Instagram. I decided to really double down and just do one platform really well. So I'm trying to do anyway. So my Instagram handle is Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-E underscore Hammond, H-A-M-O-N underscore photography. So it's really long, but you'll find me. My logo is my glasses and um, you can find all of my latest work on there. It's all with the Fuji and I hope you like it. Perfect. And we will definitely link to all these resources, including a couple of the equipment um, mentions that, that especially regards to lighting, we'll make sure to, to link to those in the show notes for the episode. By the way, do love your glasses. I actually worked in the optics industry for years uh, no even had my, my optician certification and, and, uh, yeah, oh. beautiful, beautiful choice on your glasses frames there. So you guys make sure you go to Ashley's website and uh, of course to Instagram, check out all her work. And, and actually just really, really quickly, Ashley, I am curious mm-hmm. about that, that decision to turn off Facebook. How did that impact Ooh. your, your business? If at all, it, uh, it hasn't, it hasn't negatively impacted it. So I'm kind of in a sticky spot though with it. When I was ready to delete everything, I, you know, did as much research as I could because you know I had the business page. And from my understanding, if I deleted my my main, you know, person page that all of the the pages that I created with it would also delete. But turns out I had left my old like 2 years ago assistant as an admin on that business page, so it didn't delete with my with my account. So my business page is still sitting up there floating in the ether <laughs> and I cannot access it. I can't do anything with it and I can't delete it because I don't exist anymore. <laughs> so I've been trying to figure that out. It hasn't been a detriment though. It's still up there and I still have some ranking I think for it like in Google searches and it does say like there's an automatic message on there that says, you know, I don't use this. Please, you know, email me, that kind of thing. So nothing crazy has happened on that front and I really have found that my clients are finding me through Instagram. And if they do say on Facebook and things like, you know, people are smart. They realize that that's only one of very many outlets. And I think if if a client can't figure out how to get to my email (laughs) or my phone number or anything else to contact me, then maybe we shouldn't work together. You know, Facebook is the only thing that they they can kind of figure out on my end, then it's just not going to work. So it's been really great for my mental health. Um, I've really been able to focus on Instagram and marketing and just really trying to use that platform well and not trying to just regurgitate everything onto Facebook. It's been a really good move, I think, overall. And so the, the move was really largely driven by an effort to try to focus an effort on one particular platform then? Yes. So I wasn't really using uh, Facebook personally. I just I really checked out with it and I found it was like a tam- a time vampire. Like I was just scrolling, but I was never engaging or communicating. I had really fallen off on all of the groups and things I was on. It was just too much. Like, and I really have a pet peeve of, you know, people messaging on, on messenger or, you know, even texting for business, like, please use my email. And that's just for me, you know, I just couldn't keep track of all of the different channels of communication. So that was really driving me away personally. And then as far as the business side, like I had really moved over to Instagram. And I found that I was just really neglecting Facebook. And I was only regurgitating what I'd already put on Instagram onto Facebook. So I just felt like I wasn't doing it justice. And so I felt like I'd rather just not do it at all. (laughs) That makes sense. Well, you know, but again, this is a great reflection of the point that you made at the very beginning, which is to figure out to know what you want, and then figure out what works within that realm. And you've done that you're you're living it. And I and I love that you, (laughs) and even in this case, made a stand decided what worked best for you and and ran with it. So that's, that's beautiful. 
Uh, for those of you listening in, again, Ashley Hammond, A-S-H-L-E-E-H-A-M-O-N.com is Ashley's website. And then Instagram, Ashley underscore Hammond underscore photography. Make sure that you go check out Ashley's work. Thank you again, Ashley, for making time for the Boca podcast. Thank you so much, Nathan. It was such a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to the Boca podcast today. Will you let us know what you think by leaving a review of the podcast in iTunes or maybe in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast, maybe suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My direct email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the wedding and portrait photographer. Just visit photographersedit.com. Thank you.